What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Get Over Yourself podcast, a podcast dedicated to self-development, self-improvement, and helping you achieve the goals that you've laid forth in your life. I'm your podcast host, Brandon Davis, and on today's episode, I'm bringing on a new friend of mine, Jared Robertson, or as he likes to go by, Rhino. Jared Robertson is a longtime coach and mentor and has used his experience in both his career in the finance industry and coaching multiple sports to help achieve their goals. He has taken the lessons learned from these experiences as well as his own adventures to create a unique perspective and coaching website to help those in their journey in self-improvement. He's taken what he has learned on the field and off and translated it into an award-winning career and now enjoys giving back to those who might need a little advice and looking to challenge themselves in their lives and have a lot of fun along the way. He's known to many around him simply as coach and being inspired by this has created the DCBNlifestyle.com website, which he runs under, under the pen name of Robbie Rhino. The website is growing to include his blog posts along with a companion podcast and looking to expand to other original material for your enjoyment and give you ideas to approach your challenges and goals. While not coaching sports or coaching others, he is a husband of a wonderful lady he calls Mrs. Rhino and father of two children who are 9 and 27. His other hobbies included hunting, fishing, and watching or participating in sports and working out. And guys, as always, at the end of this episode, I'm going to have it in the description below links to his website, his social media profiles, emails, any ways that he wants you to reach out to him. So if you have any questions, you need some advice, whatever it may be, you can go ahead and contact our main man, Rhino, in that form. Um, I feel like it's appropriate just to call you Rhino in this episode because, man, it's such a it's such a cool nickname you got going on for yourself. How's it going today, man? Pretty good. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, I guess before we jump into the full conversation, like where did Robbie Rhino come from? That's that's a very interesting and unique kind of trademarked name you have going on for yourself there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it came from uh, a sales job I had a long time ago, probably uh, 1992 or 93. Uh, one of one of my clients said, man, I, I've seen you through good. I've seen you through bad. Um, how do you how do you manage to get all these no's? Because it's sales, you know, you're, you're never closing a hundred percent of the deals and Definitely uh, not, not even close. Yeah. Yeah. And I just told him, uh, a wise man once told me you got to have thick skin, kind of like a rhinoceros. And then the, the kind of rhino skin, uh, we, we just call it having rhino skin. Just, you're going to get told, no, you just have to be impervious to that and just go to the next call. There you go. And so hence the nickname was born, Robbie. Rhino. Yeah. I love yeah it. I stuck around for 20 years, for 30 years now. <laughs> and like, have you always got your kids on your teams, your coaching and whatnot to call you that as well? Like coach Rhino or something? No, no, it, it actually the, the Rhino went away for a little while. Um, they just always called me coach. Um, but then, uh, uh, about three or four years ago, we started having some conversations and, and the rebirth of Robbie Rhino came, came about. And, rebirth. Uh, I, lo- I love the way you put that. I love it. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm a big fella, so I'm not huge, tall. I'm just uh, big. <clears throat> uh, so the rhino is kind of like my spirit animal, kind of kind of chubby, uh, but can can wreck stuff. So <laughs> when there you go, it, it was destined to be. I guess I guess it was destined to be. That's hilarious. Well, good stuff, Robbie. Um, as we kind of jump into today's episode, everyone, we're going to be discussing a lot of his life as he's been 
um, a coach, both on and off the field. Some of the accomplishments he's had, some of the setbacks he's had, some of the challenges he's faced with his teams and whatnot, and kind of just in general how life has taught him different principles through those experiences. So guys, as we are heading into today's episode, keep an open mind after talking with Robbie here for quite a while. He's somebody I know who has a lot of expertise to share. So with all that being said, let's jump into today's episode. So Robbie, how long were you in the coaching industry, I guess? I mean, you still do it a little bit here and there, um, but how long were you a coach for? Yeah, yeah, great question. I I, I started in 1994 uh, as a volunteer football coach. Uh, I wanted to do some community service. Uh, started with the with the boys, local boys and girls club, and then uh, somehow I got roped into coaching basketball and baseball. Ironically, I played all three in, in high school. Not... Uh, was was never the uh, greatest athlete, but had great aspirations. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to be involved in the game. So I I just jumped back into coaching from there, and uh, you know the rest is history. So it sounds like you had been playing sports a lot of your life and whatnot. But then, what kind of got you into the transition of okay, I'm going to take this from more of a competitive standpoint to giving back and actually helping other people start playing and start learning and start growing in their own respective sports. Yeah, the the impetus was uh, at at the end of my senior year, realizing uh, D one football wasn't for me. Uh, at the time, uh, there might have been a few very scant opportunities for a five foot nine, five foot ten quarterback who didn't have a have a big arm. You know, the West Coast offense hadn't been uh, totally um, fleshed out. I mean, I, that kind of stuff. Seeing the writing on the wall wasn't big enough to play hoops, and I uh, didn't want to play baseball. So, uh, and realizing I wasn't that good, you know, as far as taking the next step. Um, but wanted to be a part of the game. I just, just, just the fiber and being on the sidelines or just being part of that competition and then having coaches that I really liked and enjoyed, um, you know, and making a difference in my life. I wanted to do the same with others and be that guy. I'm picturing my coaches growing up as well. Um, I had Coach Chance, Coach Proppy, um, I had Coach Kevin, I had Coach Stewart, like all these different coaches I had inside of my life, Coach Gomez. I'm just, I can list them on and on and on. Um, but I'm picturing these guys who were inside of my life and they're influential. Like I've talked about them a lot on the podcast before. Um, some quotes, especially from my basketball coaches back in the day where they would, we'd all chant um, towards the end of the game and the beginning, we'd say, start strong, but finish stronger. And we'd chant that everyone would get rallied up and stuff. But then I've like noticed as I've been, you know, away from sports for quite a while now, at least playing little league basketball and whatnot, that those principles, they don't just go away. And so what did it mean to you as you started getting into coaching about I guess I can ask you in this form too. When did you start recognizing some of the power and influence you could have for people being a coach? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I found it like early on in in high school um, as as um, even as a player, I realized uh, and I didn't quite harness it. I couldn't harness it until I became a little bit more mature. But and then people were kind of talking to me about my the personality. Uh, and I felt like, you know, I have a good mind for the game or games. Um, <clears throat> but I, I always like to, I was always, I was always like, um, 
the best way to put it was I loved getting in the mix. I loved hyping people up. Um, I loved the cerebral uh, component to to the game. Um, and then I found that in like going into the workforce, it wasn't the same. I, I didn't, you know, you have to have like a sustained momentum. Um, it took me a while in in the workforce. So when I kind of started putting it all together and like, hey, you know what? If I go coach and I do this, I become a positive mentor and use my 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 mental processes for good. Um, that's when I, so it kind of happened early on, and that's why I wanted to get back involved in the game because it made me happy, and it made me happy to see like if if we took a kid who was struggling in one component, whether it was the game or life or school, and and tie something together to where he could have that aha moment. It was really exciting for me. Yeah, I can understand why that would be exciting because once again, going back to my own personal experiences, I mean, it's always easier to relate to if everyone here listening on the episode today, if you can picture back when you were playing sports as a younger kid or whatnot, um, it's always easier to imagine yourself in these situations so you can get a better understanding of it. So once again, going back to my own experience, I would recognize through my coaches that they cared a whole lot more about their players. So me and my teammates becoming better people and learning these life principles than, you know, necessarily just winning that one single game that, you know, in the future, it doesn't really matter if you win a little league game, you know, right. and I, I, one specific example I want to talk about. So back, I want to say this was in eighth grade, um, me and my team, we had a really good team in little league for baseball. Um, most of us guys, we've been playing with each other since we were four years old. Um, and we kind of grown up on the same team and whatnot. And so, you know, after a while you get this camaraderie with your teammates and, you can work together, you know exactly what positions you're playing, you know exactly who can kind of come clutch in certain situations, you know, you, you get that in sports. And so I remember we made it to the, to the Little League World Series for our, for our division, obviously, um, not, the, not the national scale, unfortunately, but um, we made it to this um, championship game. And as we went in, we knew what each other's strengths were and whatnot, but as all things do, we had good competition and stuff, and we ended up losing that game. So we came in second throughout um, our entire league. And as a, as a young eighth grader, all of us were devastated. You know, we think it's the end of the world. And um, I remember we had little trophies that say second place on them. And I was so angry. I ripped off the second place just so I could have just the regular trophy, you know, all these little, all these little things that were going on. But I remember one thing that my coach told me in specific, where he said, today's just another day. We learned our lesson and we can continue moving forward from here. And obviously I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but the principle stands where he recognized that, okay, we, we lost the game. It, it was, it was the most important game of the year and we lost it. But the principles we learned from that loss, were going to carry on to something a little bit further inside of our lives. So Robbie, as, you, as your experience with coaching and whatnot, what can you say about what my coach told me in that exact moment where the loss, it happened, it sucked, but what we learned from it was going to take us forward. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, it's funny because eighth grade, I had a very similar situation. We had uh, the year previous, we had won the championship. We were really pretty solid squad. Came back. Uh, we were in the in the uh, throes of uh, trying to go back to back. And as a quarterback, I had the absolute worst game. I threw two pick sixes to the same kid. So somewhere out there, some kid is like, yeah, that maybe that was his greatest moment in life. <laughs> And eighth grade, it was the it was the most terrible thing in my life, uh, and and the the game fell uh, apart for me. Up two interceptions to the same guy that went back for touchdown. Uh, I got a I got a 
unsportsmanlike uh, conduct penalty. I almost got ejected from the game. I know I threw my helmet down at one point. Um, and I, I felt responsible for that loss. I even joke today. It's like, yep, if, if it wasn't for me, we'd, we would have been back to back and we would have been three peats because uh, we won the championship the next year. But yeah, the coach exactly just say, Hey, you know what? It's two plays out of, out of life. What, you know, what did you do when, when you threw that first interception, you got back up, you started throwing the ball again and uh, you did, you did what you were supposed to do. You kept fighting. You never stopped fighting. And then, when you stop fighting is when you lose. And that's where I took it, you know, for the rest of my life was no matter what happens, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to continue, um, you know, fighting and, and playing and, and playing hard. And so obviously once again, that was a description of my experience and then your experience, but jumping back into now you're coaching people, right? You're yeah. the one who has to give this advice and you're the one who has to, lift up your players after they make boneheaded plays or throw that um, pick six or, you know, whatever it is for whatever sports. But I guess in that same aspect, then, and while we're on the topic as a coach for yourself, personally, what has it taught you about life as you look upon your team and they make these mistakes or even on the opposite side of the field where they make these great accomplishments from a coach's standpoint, what are you thinking about? What kind of life lessons are you learning in these moments? Yeah, the, the the biggest thing is is teaching them that it's not the end of the world. Even how big, how much large the stage is, or how large the stage is, you know that mistake is not going to define you, and you can't let it define you. It's just a lesson. And you know, back in my when when I was really young, I still had that player mentality where I was kind of like, you know, we'll, we'll say friendly WTF, you know, when I was a coach. Um, but then as I, as I got a little bit more mature and I dug deeper into it, I'm like, you know, I want to pick you up. You're you, just because you made a mistake. You're, you're not stupid. You're, you're valuable. And everybody, every human makes a mistake and we learn from mistakes and some, some of them hurt and some of them are, you know, really, really tough uh, life lessons, but they could take that, that valuable lesson and learn when we grow up and we go into the real world that, Hey, if something bad happens at work, we're not going to throw our helmet. I mean, what are, what are we gonna do in the office? Throw a chair that, that would get you fired. <laughs> uh, if you lose someone uh, close to you, you know, um, recently my father passed away. I was able to understand the, the magnitude of it, but it, it didn't define, okay, my life is over because he lost his. I, I can kind of regroup and understand that's hard. So you kind of tie in those life lessons with empathy and some kindness. And then if they want to joke about it, we could, we could then joke about it. But you just turn things like that into a valuable life lesson and an, an experience where um, you don't just kick a dog when they're down. You, you build them back up and, and let them, you know, uh, have, have, you know, Tell them that they're, hey, you're good, man. You, you're good. It, it doesn't define you and you move on and, and we all uh, we all grow from it. You know what's interesting about that too? I feel like in life, so many times, obviously nobody ever wants to fail in the aspect that failing sucks. Like nobody ever wants to be known as that failure or in that game. I, I love how you're mentioning this when you threw the two interceptions to the same exact guy and he ran back and scored two touchdowns off of it. Like, you did not want to be that guy. I'm sure you're looking and you had friends on the team. You probably had family or anybody up in the stands and whatnot. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. Like, I can't believe I'm doing this. In that moment, you were the guy who was failing. Yeah. Once again, like you said, think about the life lessons you learned about it. Isn't it so much more true that in life, when we fail, 
I feel like those life lessons that we could take away from it are so much more abundant than when we win. Obviously, the feeling of winning is awesome. I'm not discrediting that whatsoever. There's a lot of lessons to be learned when you win as well. But just picture a lot of times when you have those losses, don't you analyze the game more? Don't you analyze your work more? Don't you analyze whatever situation you failed in? I feel like you put so much more into effort into, okay, why did I fail? What went wrong? How can I correct that for next time? Absolutely. Agreed. And and I find myself, when anytime I've, I've failed in life, and there's been plenty of those, uh, both on and off the field, but what I found is, you know, looking back in the game film, you know, when, when we have a tough game and, you know, we started filming games a long time ago, I found that as a player and as a coach, I get this too from, from the quarterback, I'll get coach that, that linebacker wasn't there in my pre-snap read or you. So, and then you show the video and you have that aha moment. And I found a lot of times the failure is based on like this really uh, tunnel vision almost uh, you get you get the play called to you. You you go into the huddle, call the play. You break. You're like, all right, I'm going to make this pass. Come you know, hell or high water, I'm going to make this happen, and I'm going to I'm going to score this touchdown, and we're going to we're going to break this team down. And then all of a sudden, you're so hyper focused on the play that you didn't do one thing in your pre snap read, and you missed that linebacker who was sitting there waiting for that play because you've ran it before successfully and now they're going to jump it. And that's exactly what happens. Um, we've done that with our linebackers too. Like we, we uh, played a team that did a, a lot of trapping and a lot of things different that, that we were not accustomed to. So we went to a different defense and we told the guys, you cannot stack behind the defensive ends. They stacked behind the defensive ends all night long and they swore to us all night long. Hey, we weren't stacked. And then we saw the game film and Every play they were stacked, did exactly the opposite of what we coached them. And they were like, oh, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was, they were just so tunnel vision. And you get this like concept of I have to achieve, I have to achieve. And then you stop thinking about doing the things the right way to, to achieve your goal. And obviously, once again, that's a very specific situation you'll see in sports a lot, whether like you're saying you're playing football, whether in baseball you're trying to play the shift, whether in basketball you're lined up um, – and you're, you're supposed to set the screen and then you aren't in the right position to do so. You know, in sports, there's very specific plays you can draw out. But as all things relate back, there's certain plays in life that can be drawn out as well. The way you function and the principles you have inside of your life for your marriage, the way you function and um, the values you hold while you're at work and the commitment you're able to put in for that, the way you um, take your work outside of um, your physical office and go forth in the community, right? There's these plays you could draw up inside of your own life that hold true to those principles as well. And as a coach, how have you seen your players be able to transition that from the field or the court to the real world situation? Yeah, it's, I, I've seen some kids who have come from some pretty tough backgrounds, you know, uh, you know, bad, bad households, um, bad grades, uh, you know, and, and the last thing that they're holding on to is sports, right? It's their, their only like you know, positive thing in their life. And, and for that to be taken away really sucks. Um, we've had, we've had students who are borderline dropouts who we were able to coach them and move them to a situation where they were getting 3.0 and higher. And the most successful one actually went from almost dropping out of high school to making the Dean's list in a matter of a year 
and, and the, the work and like the understanding, like getting them to realize when you go to school, you have to prepare the same way as if you're going to the weight room or you're going to the football field and school is important, just more important than, than football. I, I told them, Hey, your head is going to be here for a lifetime. This game might be here for another three years. If you're lucky, maybe it's four years, maybe it's five years. Some guys get 10 years or, or more when you're in ninth or 10th grade. Some guys get to play until they're 30, but most of us, we get to play until we're 18 or 19. So to see those kind of aha moments as well, where you could turn them into um, students as, as well as athletes, uh, you know, you know, getting them to kind of think about it on their own, not just telling them, hey, you need to go be a good student, but give them the tools and get them to kind of start thinking on their own and asking them those, those questions about, well, if, if you're respectful to me, why aren't you doing the same to your, your professor or your teacher in school? What, why are you not giving them the same amount of respect? What, what gives on that? You know, and making them kind of think about, well, if I go to school, I got to give the teacher the same amount of respect I'm giving my, my coach. And I like that idea too, because it is something that we can all think about. Obviously, most of us aren't playing sports competitively anymore. I say that as I do it in real football here uh, at my college. But, you know, it's, it's not the same thing as when I was playing back in Little League. It meant the world to me. But, um, yeah, I'm just picturing that situation where you can transition these things from on the field and on the court and on the diamond to life situations. Exactly. And a lot of it, a lot of it comes back down to humility. Yes. Are you willing to recognize where you went wrong in the game, and can you transition that to aspects of your life? Exactly. Can you recognize where you were on top in the game, and can you transition that to other aspects of your life? And have you, how have you seen people do that on your teams that you've coached? I've seen it in 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 guys like. You know, as far as being on top, we've seen guys who are like the best of the best when, when they're in the, you know, seventh grade because they peaked at 13 and they they realize at the at the middle of their junior year, they're not the best player anymore as far as like physical, like everyone's caught up to them. So they have to redouble their effort, right? And to, to stay um, what would be considered the best player on the team they have to adjust their game. They have to become smarter. You know, they, they not, they can, they can't rely simply on physicality anymore. They have to rely on reviewing game film. They have to be a student of the game. They have to be out early working harder than everybody else, or just as hard as, as everybody else. They have to learn leadership skills. They, you know, you can't be a quarterback or you can't be the captain of a team and be aloof. You can't, you have to endear yourself to people one way or the other. You have to be, Either the guy that they can look to in the time of, um, you know, uh, when the shit hits the fan for for whatever, you know, you're down 14 points. If if he's freaking out, well, if our quarterback's freaking out, we're not coming back. <laughs> you're going to fall apart, and it's going to be instead of 14 point loss, it's going to be a 20 or 25 point loss. But if that quarterback's cool as a cucumber, and he's like, "Hey guys, we're we're okay, right?" And, and he could do that a couple of different ways. And it's just him finding it within himself or the player finding it within themselves um, or the, the employee. Um, I've had some situations arise just over the last three or four weeks where, you know, things are going great, but we could have all fallen apart if we weren't, you know, 
able to take that deep breath, look at things um, from a different perspective and, and to kind of take pride out of it. Like, cause pride always, always messes with you. Bad things happen when you let pride creep in sometimes. Um, so it's just trying to get them to develop their own thought processes within themselves because everybody's different. We got raw, raw guys. We got guys who don't want to say a word. Um, so you, so the, the introverts out there who want to lead, you know, they can lead by just example and, and just very few words and their words become a little bit more potent when they do speak, um, right. based on their actions. So. Right. And I couldn't agree more on that too. Cause if I'm picturing some of my friends who are just naturally born leaders, but don't speak as much, you know, yeah. um, that's something I think maybe I have too much of an issue with, uh, you speaking too much, but I'm picturing some of these guys and they could be just as powerful, if not more so when they let their actions speak for themselves. Or like you said, where they speak so minimal that when they do speak, everyone's heads turned. Yes. And I feel like everyone knows somebody like that in their lives. You know, the guy speaks and everyone goes, whoa, like, what did you, what did you just say? And yeah. it's inside of life. I mean, that's so interesting to think that we have those types of people, but then we also have the, like you mentioned, the very extroverted people who are just bouncing off the walls and whatnot. So once again, I'm, I'm obviously we're relating this all back to your coaching experiences and whatnot. Did those two types of personalities make a difference on the field or off the field in their leadership and their skills and their abilities? Or at the end of the day, were they each using their own traits and talents and kind of components of who they are as a person to become a better leader, example, athlete, whatever it may be? Yeah, I, th I think it's a, a combination of both. I, I think one thing that I've tried to do, and, and I've learned this the hard way, um, the, the worst season I ever had was an O, I think 10 or 11 season as a coach. And it almost broke me as a coach, like, oh my gosh, right? Um, but we saw so much um, growth and leadership. And, and I found growth and leadership of finding how important words are and the context and content of, of the words and how and when you say them. Um, and those types of things came out and out of the fire and out of the ashes came a way better coach in a lot of ways. So I try not to put people in the box. I, I try to impart, you know, I'm a raw, raw guy. I'm pretty, you know, I'm talkative. I, we could probably sit here and, and talk for the rest of the day about anything and everything. Um, but I know some, some people aren't like that. I have a, I have a really good friend of mine, very, very quiet. He won't even talk in a, a situation for two or three, you know, we'll, we'll go to barbecues and it's like, do you, do I need to learn sign language? <laughs> but when he does talk, it's very impactful. So I try not to, when I'm, when I'm coaching or I'm mentoring in the professional world, I try to, uh, before I engage, I really like to get kind of an idea of the personality that, that I'm working with and find what makes them kind of tick and what's going to touch the, the right buttons and impart them to feel comfortable to talk and feel comfortable in when they need to lead, lead. Okay. And I feel like that's something that sometimes can be a little difficult as well where you're trying to kind of not force, but guide somebody towards that, especially if they're not in the attitude where they want to. Have you, have you seen that in your coaching experience? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, the, the transitions from, from high school to, or from like middle school sports to high school sports, we see that a lot. Uh, we, we see that guy who was maybe the fastest kid you know, in, in football. 
it's changed a lot when, since when I was when I was a, a young player or even a younger coach. Uh, but what used to happen is they took they took the fastest kid and they just ran outside sweep all day long. And if if no one could catch up, well, then it was it was a long day for everybody. The problem with that is you're not teaching them the technical skills to be a really good running back. So when we bring in, you know, uh, from our high school, we would bring in uh, running backs who would funnel in from the middle schools, uh, from the junior football program. So, uh, you know, we would have like and this happens in college and, and the NFL, too. You see it all the time. You bring in like five or six guys and all five or six guys are really, really good athletes. But at that point they're all the same speed. Um, same with the linebackers. Those linebackers have now caught up and they are just as fast as the running back. So what's going to make that running back who can no longer just beat you to the outside and outrun you, they have to become very technical in their skill and ability. And some will take on that chore and that task and take it very seriously. And they're, those are the ones who continue to play. And the guys who just don't want to listen or they become obstinate or something's in their head, they don't want to learn how to cut properly. They don't want to wait for the block to develop. Uh, they don't you know, slide off of the, the back of the, the shoulder pads like you want them to. All these little thing, minute details, they're the ones who wind up becoming upset and having a longer road to getting playing time. So, you know, and then you have the guy in the middle who will try and pull them all together and say, hey, we need to do this. We need to practice hard. We need to work hard and, and improve as a team. Uh, so you see it everywhere and you see it, you know, both in football. I've seen it in baseball um, where kids who are, you know, you know, in, in eighth grade, just Deadpool hitter. And all of a sudden you see guys who are throwing curveballs or sliders to the outside half. And they're trying to they're trying to turn a ball over from the outside half and pull it to left field when they could be far more successful turning that into right field and going with the pitch. So you're just, again, you got to kind of get them their thought process of what they're doing and why they think, um, again, it's what, you know, get inside their head a little bit and kind of talk to them and say, Hey, if, if you got a runner on second and third base and that pitch comes to the outside half of the plate, is it, you know, get them to kind of conceptualize Hey, would it be easier to to bring them home if you hit it hit that ball on the outside half of the plate if it goes out to right field, or if you try and pull that and and hit a little soft uh, dribbler to the third baseman? What are you doing for your team? Right. You right. know, <laughs> so uh, you know, calling for the greater good too. Like, you know, not just their not just their own glory, but hey, what are you doing as part of the team component as well, and, and staying within that confine of of uh, individual effort and how it. Uh, how it translates to team effort as well. It makes complete sense too. And as I feel like it, the more you talk to somebody and you're actually able to draw it out, not just saying a simple concept like, Hey, you need to do better, but Hey, you need to do better and think about next time. Don't hit it towards the third baseman, hit it towards the right fielder, at least deep enough. So our guy can score, you know, uh, these small little details that in the end can make up a big difference. Exactly. Exactly. At the end of the day, too, that's what that is what's gonna make the difference. If you can talk to them, work something out and make them not just think, okay, I messed up, but think, okay, I messed up, but this is what I'm gonna do different next time. Exactly. And and sometimes it's not even that they messed up. I recently I had a great conversation in at my work. I have a really valuable employee who who's a pretty high achiever uh, and and is a go-getter. She she's she's pretty amazing. Uh, 
And we had the situation pop up where she did everything right. But the end result was we can do better, right? And that's where I love coaching is we don't necessarily have to focus on, man, boy, how did you, did you mess up? We could also say, hey, you did an amazing job here. And let's take a look and dissect this. And when we found, uh, when we found the problem, we, we kind of like broke it down. She did everything what we would consider by the book. But it wasn't still good enough because the end result was our client felt or the stakeholder felt like they were being ignored. And so what we were able to do is say, hey, I was able to say, hey, you know what? You did everything the way we've asked you. But, you know, sometimes the playbook is great. But every once in a while, we got to revise the playbook. That was actually my exact words were using that sports kind of, uh, you know, axiom was like, hey, the playbook is great and right. But let's change this and revise this a little bit and take these extra steps to elevate our the, the perception to our, our client and elevate the our game as individuals so this doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the change that we made actually turned from, from just her and I's interaction to actually changing it positively for our, our team, our entire team, which handles uh, – uh, a national uh, exposure. And we've, we've turned this into a, a deal where people are now seeing the difference and go, Hey, I really like this. How, what, what happened? Why is this changing? It's like, well, we, we figured out, Hey, we were doing some good stuff here, but we can improve. And now instead of maybe getting, you know, it, going back to the, the analogy of the guy tries to pull the ball, goes down the, down the third baseline. Maybe you only get one run. Well, if he takes and, and pulls that, now he gets two runs, and now he's even a more of a hero, right? So we're calling to them, um, almost not the vanity, but call, the, the the calling the inner competitor out. Like, why not get them? Why not win them all if we can, right? But not necessarily breaking them down um, and, and tell them, "Hey, you're stupid for doing this." It's like, "Hey, you did this, this, and this, but if we do this, what are what's the likelihood of even having more success?" Right. Right. I couldn't agree more, Robbie, because I feel like a lot of times that is the best way to communicate with somebody is showing it out and recognizing the little differences can actually make a bigger difference. The little changes can make that huge difference that you can see inside of your life. Exactly. But Robbie, as we're kind of um, reaching that 35 minute mark here um, to close out, I normally ask my guests that if they had one piece of advice that they could give to the world. What would it be and why? That's generally the kind of ending I like towards the episode and whatnot. But since you've been doing coaching for so long now, and you've seen these experiences with these kids and you've seen it in your own life and whatnot, I want to I want to close out with one specific question towards you. And if you can relay this back in your own self-reflection and leave it for the audience today, is what does it mean to have people call you coach? Man, it's it's a badge of honor. Um, it's the first feeling. It it really is a, a you know something that's important to me because it's validation that I've put in the work, um, I've put in the effort to to become knowledgeable, and I feel that um, that they feel comfortable in coming to me and being uh, okay, being vulnerable or okay, not knowing and being okay with wanting to improve and. Um, I take that that seriously. I, I, it's just a it's an awesome feeling to have. Um, it's a very uh, what what Spider Man was the quote with uh, great power comes great resp- responsibility. Uh, you know um, that is 
something that I, I take very seriously and, and wish I had a couple more of those in my personal life growing up or were able to see it growing up. So it's just uh, uh, to be able to reflect upon it and just know that um, it it's very humbling as well. It's very humbling and it's very, uh, very, uh, you know, the words that people have kind of uh, talked to me about um, and, and the, the less I kind of thump my chest and the more I kind of think about, you know, their successes and become, uh, you know, more invested in their success that I feel the stronger I become and, and the better coach that I become. Uh, so yeah, it's it just really uh, humbling and, and important to me and, and makes me happy that I know that I've, I could put my, my ego or my pride aside and help others uh, learn from some of the mistakes that I've made in life. Um, it's very cool and exciting. That's wonderful. And I appreciate the openness and I really do appreciate you being willing to come on to the episode today. Um, for the audience who listened, I hope you were able to truly give some of your attention to the words that were said today. Once again, a lot of sports metaphors were thrown around, but in the end of the day, sports, in my personal opinion, always relate back to life. They always relate back to situations we're given and situations we're thrown in. And so there is truly a lot to be learned. So thank you for hopping on with us today. That was, that was amazing. No, thank you. I'm glad, glad you're on board. I appreciate it. As we close out today's episode, as always, I want to just leave the reminder that if you got anything out of today's episode, feel free to share it with somebody who might be able to be impacted inside of their life by hearing this conversation. Find somebody who maybe recently finished with sports who needs a little uplifting. Find somebody who used to do something athletic back in the day and they can kind of reminisce with these words and refocus their lives around it. Or find somebody who just needs a pick-me-up because sometimes that's all it takes is just reaching out and say, hey, I heard this, it made me think of you. Also, if you personally got anything out of today's episode, make sure once again to go check out the description down below to see how you can get in contact with Robbie here. Um, also, you can check out um, the review section if you want to leave me a positive review here on the Get Over Yourself podcast. It means the world to me. And guys, at the end of the day, just remember, it'll all be okay. Just take what you've learned on the field and apply it back into your life.